Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the God. We are looking today at the subject of mission. Now, before I start, this is an enormous topic. Um, in fact, we could do an eight-week series if we wanted to in relation to it, and maybe we will at some point. So trying to condense this into 25 minutes is quite a challenge, but I'll have a go. So when we talk about mission, what comes to mind? Well, I'll be honest with you, um, I'm a quite a big fi- fan of 90s films, um, so immediately comes to mind is a somewhat youthful-looking Tom Cruise um, in the famous film series Mission Impossible. Uh, And in that particular scene, Tom is dangling a few inches above a floor, knowing that an alarm will go off and the building will be surrounded by agents if he touches the floor. Um, Is the mission of the church like this? Are we on an impossible mission like Tom Cruise? Or is the mission of the church a bit more like this? Now, this is the official Institute of Directors approach to mission. So we must start, those of you in business will probably recognise some of this, you must start with a vision statement. You must look where you want to go as a business. And then your mission then fits in behind it. It's, it's in a sense, how are you going to achieve that vision? And then below that you cascade from there, do you like the business language, the objectives the objectives that must come then from a mission. And then you then move into operational targets. Is a mission like that? Or is a mission like um, a way that some parts of the church try and develop it, this concept of, say, a missional community? Should we as, as Christians be going out and setting up our own communities. A little bit like what Eric was talking about with the Dutch church in the silos, where we have our own magazines. We have our own, uh, what was it, your own travel agents? Remarkable. Um, you know, is, is the church to be like that? Or is it to be in a sense of where we open up our home groups to the world around us and we expand that? Is that what an expression of mission is as a church? I think we're left with a lot of questions as to what is mission. But actually, we're given right at the end of all the Gospels, and, and Matthew is, in a sense, the fullest expression of the Great Commission, the final words of Jesus before he departs to his disciples. And we see it in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. Sorry if you can't read that very well. Um, But you've got the verses there. And what I've highlighted in red on, on that slide is this opening thing where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Because that is absolutely significant as we start looking at the mission of the church. Because in a sense, Jesus says that this is why you have to listen to me. Because all authority has been given to me by none other than God the Father. 
And to properly understand the mission of the church, you've got, you've got to go right back to the beginning of the Old Testament. So we go back to creation in Genesis chapter 1. Because God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into being. And because he rules everything, he has authority. And obviously we've got the account in Genesis 1 of God creating the world. God and man to live in harmony. Man actually... And woman being the, the pin, well, woman really was the pinnacle of God's creation because he created man first and woman was even better. Um, but he created men and women to be the pinnacle of creation. But it wasn't an equal relationship. Because um, God gave, gave man dominion as his servant over the rest of creation. And then man's in that unique and privileged position as the guardians of the garden. And it was a wonderful symbiotic relationship between God and man. Then, as you all know, the fall then happens. And you see, the interesting thing about the, of the fall, of when man and God, this, this relationship fractures, comes in Genesis 3, 5, where you have the serpent talking to Eve and saying, by way of temptation, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the essence of temptation is to say, man, you can be equal to God. You can be equal to God. And so men and women give in to that temptation. They take the tree from, they take the fruit from the tree of knowledge. And they are, as a result of that, punished by God. They're thrown out of the garden. And the privileges that come are taken away. Life suddenly becomes hard. Work becomes hard. And, and toil. There's a broken, fractured relationship between God and man. A man is alienated. In a sense, man is cast out of the kingdom. The kingdom of God in heaven and earth is here. Man is cast out. And every relationship then is disrupted. So the relationship between men and women and animals is disrupted. The relationship between men and women themselves is broken. And above all, the relationship between man and God is broken. And the rest of biblical history, and we'll see this very briefly now, is the story of God trying to get back into to restore that relationship with man. Because it can only come from God. So we, we move on in biblical history to the flood. And um, obviously the, the, the fact that things go much worse in Genesis... Um, that we have the first murder, we have all, all the problems that sort of flow um, from, 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 um, from the fractured relationship, and God decides essentially to wipe out the earth and sends a great flood, and only Noah and his family and the animals are preserved from this. But at the end of it, we see the first signs of God wanting to restore that relationship, where he says, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between men, between me and all life on earth in Genesis chapter 9. And with the sign of the rainbow, God's covenant. And then that's built upon in Genesis, in, in, later on in Genesis through Abraham. So Abraham goes to the top of the mountain and God establishes a covenant with Abraham. And this is really significant because he promises Abraham that he's going to become the father of a great nation. 
Paul picks up on this theme in, in Galatians chapter 3, uh, three uh, 8 to 9. And he says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. And the truth is that blessing is going to come by Abraham's offspring through none other than Jesus Christ. Because the only way that God can truly get reconciled with man is by looking forward and through Jesus Christ taking on that role. And then we come to the Exodus. Um, Out of Egypt I called my son. The demonstration of God rescuing his people out of Israel, uh, out out of Egypt. This sort of spiritual image, if you like, of this um, redemption from, from sin. And then we go on through the rest of the Old Testament. We have King David. And we start to see, again, how God is trying to restore his people to him. But the truth is, until Jesus, that is not possible. And, and the amazing thing about the cross, the amazing thing about the cross is that moment just after Jesus has died on the cross... Matthew 27, 51, where you've got this 60-foot-high curtain in the temple. And what happens? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And what had previously blocked man from God has gone. The curtain has gone. And it's possible then for man to come in true relationship with God. Now, that won't happen in this world. That will happen in the world to come. But we see this wonderful glimpse in Revelation. Because through the restoration, Jesus shows he's conquered death. And we have that wonderful image in in Revelation 22. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Restoration will be done truly at the end of time. and And we're back to the start of creation. So you might say, why is all this relevant? Why is this relevant to the mission of the church? Well, the truth is, is that the mission of the church has its root in and is defined by God's rescuing act through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the restoration of kingdom, we're talking actually about the restoration of the relationship between God on the one hand and man on the other. And the only way that is possible is through the authority of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, Jesus turns around and, and, and he says, so, read that. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then what does he go on to say? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. It's, he doesn't just say, stop there. Sit back and let me get on with it. No. He has an express role for those who are already in the kingdom to take forward his mission. And for those people like us who are already in the kingdom, we have a unique and a special responsibility. And our responsibility is not to do what I would describe a Belinda Carlisle, to create heaven on earth. It is, in fact, to do God's work in restoring people in right relationship to him. So often there's a confusion, I think, amongst Christians as to actually the mission is, in a sense, to restore heaven on earth. 
Um, but actually the truth is, it is to restore people back into relationship with God. If I can dis- describe it in a sort of, in an illustration. About 21 years ago, um, I went for the, the only time in my life I've been to Africa. Um, I went to Kenya on a project with Tear Fund uh, in a sort of joint venture they did with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship. Um, you can, may, maybe you can't see the photos very well up there. I was playing the guitar equally badly in those days. Um, but the, the, the point of this what was for us to go and experience um, a week working with lawyers, working with very, very poor people in Kenya, to actually see what it was like to go to court with them. Um, and then we went up to uh, the, the Rift Valley in central Kenya to build a water tank for a Christian couple who'd set up a street children's project up there. Um, and actually, two really good things came out of, of, of that, um, that trip. Um, one of them was actually, um, as a result of that, one of the guys who, who came on the trip got very inspired by the fact there was no legal aid in Kenya, and he set up a charity back in the UK that now does the first legal aid work in Kenya as a result of that trip. And the other thing is, is that that uh, school that was up in the, in the Rift Valley now has a supply of water that it didn't previously have and are able to exist up there. Two really good things that came out of it. And, and actually, the, it was a very powerful thing, actually seeing Christians going and working up there and building that water tank in terms of the witness that it was to um, the, the children up there. But actually, it's, it's interesting. If I think the most tangible thing that came out of that trip, it was actually a friendship that I formed with one guy who was, who was actually on, in the right-hand photo. And when I went back to Birmingham to start as a trainee lawyer the following year, um, I, I read the Bible with him. And um, he'd very, very recently become a Christian. And this, to, to this day, he's now pastor of a church in Manchester. And he's written books on planting churches. And the, the really interesting thing is, is that God was able to use that relationship between the two of us where, in a sense, I was discipling him originally, but very soon we were discipling each other. And, and actually, he has gone on to lead churches, to plant churches, to do, to, 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 to do things in the kingdom. So whereas all these, all these things we did in Kenya were great things, starting legal aid things, um, going and building water tanks, actually, the most tangible thing that came out of that was the relationships that came out, out, out of that initiative. So we, so, 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 so we go on then. Um, what does Jesus ask his disciples to do? Well, he actually asks them to make disciples. So what, what is making disciples in the church today? What does that mean? Well, I suppose immediately it thinks, well, actually, we have to go out and we have to evangelize. We have to tell other people the gospel. And we have to nurture and baptize those believers when they come in, 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 into church. We need to, we need, actually need to look after the flock. We need to look after people in the congregation. We need to teach our young people. We need to read the Bible with one another in home groups. We need to pray with each other. These are all ways in which we can make disciples. It's not just about new people coming to the church. It's actually about feeding and building up the rest of the congregation with this aim of making disciples who can in turn then make disciples themselves. You know, we, we talk about baptism. Jesus actually 
urges his disciples to go and baptize. Baptism is so important because it is an, it's an order of none other than Jesus Christ. When someone becomes a believer, we should baptize them because baptism is the pictorial representation of what goes on in the heart of someone who accepts Jesus Christ into their life. The washing away of sin and the taking on of that new identity as a child in Christ. And teaching. Teaching is really important. We we believe in this church that um, teaching is is front and central of what we do. And, and And we do that in a whole variety of different ways. Again, because Jesus commands it to go and to teach. But it's not to stop there. We're very privileged, you see, in this um, in this church that we do actually have people groups within this church. When it talks about all nations, it actually means all people groups. So in this congregation, as we know, we've got a Dutch person, we've got a German person, we've got Irish people, we've got Singaporeans, we've got Australians, we've got South Africans, we've got people from Coventry. All nations in this church. And, and, and so in a sense, we, we, one sense, we don't need to go any further because people have come here. In fact, you only need to go two miles up the road to Warwick University and you've actually got one of the highest concentrations of Chinese students at any university in the country. Um, we, we, we had, we had uh, some Chinese students who came, came to us for Christmas one year uh, and they didn't realise that you could actually drink water out of the taps here because they hadn't yet in, c- c- come across any actual English people other than other than the Chinese people that they had within the university. And actually, so there's a great opportunity there to witness to the nations by just going two miles up the road. But equally, as Marco said earlier, there's an imperative, imperative on us as, as a church to also think beyond, beyond this town, beyond these shores, and actually think about that, that great command of taking the gospel to the nations. So one thing that we're going to be committed to as a church is looking to support missionaries overseas. That's a really important part of our calling as believers. So what are practical applications for us here today? The theory is all very well, but and we kind of accept that, yes, that issue in the mission, making disciples. But what does that mean in practice? Well, firstly, in terms of what we do as a church, making disciples should be front and central of what we do. It should be the most important thing. So whether that's through evangelism, whether that's through teaching and building up people, equipping people, we've got to, we've got to aim with this, have this aim of making disciples who can in turn make disciples. But equally, we shouldn't ignore the fact that actually good deeds are important as well as they glorify God. Because if, if, if all we're doing is going out to the world and, and telling people the gospel, and telling people the good news, then actually it can be a bit empty if there's no demonstration of that. Because God cares about the, the world. So we have people who go out and volunteer in food banks, for example. And we do that because there's a need, but also because God cares for the world. God cares for the poor. That's a really important thing. In Titus 2.14, it says, God's people are people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Good works are a really important thing. 
But we have to be aware that as a church, we do have limited resource. Um, a couple of years ago, um, when, when I was at New Wine, um, I went to a seminar on church planting. And uh, I, 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 I was very open with the group, and I said, we're part of a group that's looking to plant a church in, in, in Kenilworth. Um, we're very green on this whole thing. Have you got any advice for us? And one lady said, actually, I, I could give you a, a good piece of advice. She said, make sure you do one or two things really well. She said, because the reality is, of being a very small church, you're going to have limited resource. Don't spread yourselves too thin. Do one or two things really well. So from our point of view, if making disciples is the most important thing, we have got to think, how can we best use our resource to do, to, to do that? How, how, you know, and so as we're a new church, you know, we had Independence Day on Wednesday. We've got to think, how are we going as a church to reach this town in the most effective way? That's a challenge for all of us. Fourthly, we do mission as a church, as a covenant people of God. There is a distinction between a church, as in a group like this, and what, and little scattered groups of believers. Because when you, when you're a church, actually, you covenant with one another to take on certain responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is to feed the flock, to preach the word, to have the Lord's Supper, which we're going to have later, to have church discipline if you need to. And, and, and it's, a, it's a much stronger thing, and, and it's the expression of um, God's people in, in, the, in the modern age. And, and actually, us doing mission together as a church is a really important thing. And the reality is, is there are plenty of organisations out there that will do good works. There are plenty of charities that will feed the poor, um, that will do... Uh, that, that, that will, will work with, with the blind, with the infirm, lots of things like that. And actually, often Christians are the ones leading those, those charities. But the reality is, if the church doesn't undertake this mission of making disciples, then nobody else will. There's going to be no other charity who's going to step in and take up that key role. So that has to be our primary role as a church, of making disciples. But, but, and this is the thing, God can do mighty things with a very, very small group of people. Because if you think about it, there were 12 disciples. 12 disciples. And we know they were not the best educated. They were not the most able. They were, actually, if you look at them in the, in the uh, room where they're locked in, after, after the cross, they're a pretty desperate group. We studied it recently in John. And yet, that group, that group founded the modern church. The reason that there are billions of people in the world today who worship Jesus Christ is because they went out on Pentecost, after Pentecost, equipped with the Holy Spirit, and they planted churches left, right, and center across the Middle East that spread across the world. And where we are today, where we sit today, is because they started that work. That's a remarkable thing. Now, I've worked out the statistics here. There were 27 people who became members of this church on Wednesday. And if you're not yet a member, may I encourage you to do so, to add to that number. But it works very well for this illustration. Because in the latest census, there are 27,000 people in this town. 
So for every member, there are 999 people in this town who are not members of this church. Now that's not to say there are, within that 999, there will be other Christians. Absolutely there will be other Christians. But I can tell you the vast majority of that 999 will not know Jesus Christ. Now that looks like a very, very daunting mission for us, doesn't it? But actually the truth is, what took the disciples, 12 people, against the rest of humanity? And you look at what has happened over those last 2,000 years. God can do mighty things with small groups of people. All that he asks is that we are willing. And then finally, we have this privilege. We are God's missionaries in this town. This, this, this is what we've been asked to do. Um, as, as we talked about the history on Wednesday of how it started 10 years ago, I, I'm firmly the conviction that God wanted this church to happen in, in, in Kenilworth in his timing, to add to the witness of all the other Christians here in this town. God has this town on his heart, but we, we're the ones he's entrusted with that responsibility. And that's actually a remarkable thing. But we're not alone in that task. Because if you look at the very, very last thing, and I do apologise for the red writing because I can't read it either. But it's, it, but it's there right at the end. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Almost a throwaway, throwaway line. I think if we talk about abandonment, that's a very, very strong thing. If, if you can think of, as a child perhaps... Um, I can certainly remember being in, in Marks and Spencers in Birmingham as a, as, as a six-year-old and suddenly discovering that my mother had disappeared. And that feeling of aloneness that you have as a child, you could probably remember it, of feeling quite, quite abandoned. It, it, it happened to me once in my, in my professional career where the guy who I trained with, who'd, who'd given me a job, um, he'd been at the business 30 years, he was going to be my mentor, be wonderful. He announced after three months of me qualifying that he, he was leaving. And I felt terribly abandoned at that point. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was a nice end to the story because I ended up working with him again for the rest of the rest of his career. He didn't escape me. But, um, but, but, but the sense of, of actually of abandonment. And if you think of those disciples, again, think of them in that room, locked, the doors locked, petrified for their lives, thinking that Jesus had abandoned. And then he walks back in through the wall, through the door, and he's standing amongst them saying, look at my hands. I am with you. And, and, and Jesus promises that he will leave his Holy Spirit with his disciples. And what equips them from that moment in that, in that, in that room in Acts, when the, when the tongues come down of the Holy Spirit and it falls upon them, we, like them, have the Holy Spirit to equip and to help us. When you become a believer... It is promised that you will take, you will have the Holy Spirit dwell within you. And with that, amazing things can happen. And as I was preparing, I, I was, I was quite challenged to think that actually, um, for, for some of us, when we first become believers, we feel that real reality, that, that surge of the Holy Spirit within us. And yet, as, as we go on in the Christian life, so often we can go through hard times and we can feel distant and we can feel dry. And things are really hard. But that Holy Spirit is still there within us. And I felt quite convicted as I, as I was praying this to think, if there's anyone here today who is thinking, I'm in that situation, I'm really struggling here, I can't feel that sense in me. 
Come up at the end. I would like to pray for you. If you're really struggling and you're thinking, I, 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 I get this. I really get this. In my head, this makes so much sense, but I'm just not feeling it. And, and, and I want to be equipped. Or maybe you're somebody who thinks, well, actually, I don't think I'm even a Christian. I don't think I even know this myself. Again, come up at the end and let me pray for you. Or if you don't want to pray with me, come and pray with Marco. But, but, but let one of us pray for you in, the, in, in this section. Because um, it's a wonderful gift, the Holy Spirit, and it dwells within all of us who accept Jesus Christ as our saviour. So there we have it, the mission of the church today. And we've got it on our, on our sort of strap line, to glorify God, making disciples as disciples. That is the mission of the church, but we're not alone in that task. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that um, it's so clear. It's not complicated what we have to do, but equally it's daunting when we look at it and we think we are taking on your work here. And yet you don't leave us alone in it. You equip us. You empower us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells within each one of us who've accepted it. Thank you for the fact that we can go out in the power and the knowledge that you dwell within us. And you will give us the words to say and the love and the compassion for people who don't know you. I pray that you'd equip us and help us as we go out this week, that we would would be people of integrity, people of honesty, people of compassion. And give us the words to say, Lord, when we have those opportunities to talk to people about the glorious riches of your kingdom. Equip us now, Lord, we pray. Amen.